Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Kevin McDonald is one of the original founders of The Kids in the Hall, the legendary sketch comedy troupe that started in Toronto, then became internationally famous over five seasons in the late 80s and early 90s, thanks to HBO and later CBS. McDonald's recurring characters included The King of Empty Promises and Sir Simon Milligan, host of the horror-themed TV show The Pit of Ultimate Darkness. McDonald has guest starred in many actual TV shows over the past two decades, reunited with Kids in the Hall for multiple tours, most recently in 2014, toured as a duo act with Scott Thompson, and gone solo as a stand-up sketch comedy teacher and all-star guest improviser. He now has his very own podcast, a variety show called, fittingly enough, Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show. So let's get to it! So, Kevin McDonald, thanks for joining me here on Last Things First. Thanks for being here when I came. Uh, so, it is uh, not Halloween when you're listening to this, unless you listen next year or in a future year. <laughs> but it is Halloween today, so I want to... I'm a little worried about getting cabs afterwards. <laughs> That's true. It I is... guess the east side, right? Uh, let's just talk about the, my cab situation. <laughs> if, I, if I stay in the east, I should be okay? Right, because the Halloween parade is on the west yeah, village. Yeah, yeah. We're so, in the uh, east uh, village. Uh, so, so, I'm okay. <laughs> Whenever you're listening to this, I, pr- I was probably Okay. <laughs> What if this is a posthumously? I can't pronounce that. And then I died during the Halloween, uh, trying to get to my hotel. Mm. Well, well, well y- at least I have Halloween. Many years from now, if podcasts are still a thing. Yes, that's true. It'll, it'll be posthumous for both of us. Yes. Um, I can't pronounce that. Posthumous. 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 Posthumously. Then you have to, yes. I'm sorry. I've, I've stopped you from talking. Oh, I'm no, sorry. it's fine. Thank you very much. But I wanted to ask you before I lost track completely uh, about uh, Sir Simon Milligan. Oh, because Halloween. Ha- Halloween friendly. <laughs> Yes. Um, well, uh, I could tell you uh, like a whole story about uh, Simon Milligan. Please do. Well, first of all, uh, when I tell the story, I never say this, and I should say this, on a subconscious level. Mm-hmm. I swear it wasn't conscious, but on a subconscious level, I must have got it from Count Floyd of SCTV a little bit, right? Don't you think? Are, are, do you know SCTV and Count Floyd? Yeah. yeah. Like, I never, th- I never thought that for years, but it must have, like, just the idea mm-hmm. of someone not being as scary as they should be, or, uh, or in my case, evil. Right. So, I, I admit right off the bat, I've never done, this is the first interview, I've told this story, I'm about to tell a hundred times, but I've never said this part, so this is new. <laughs> this is new. Exclusive. Um, exclusive. Uh, then I, I must admit, in some subconscious way, mm-hmm. it must have. It must have, like, uh, entered my brain and mm-hmm. came out of Sir Simon. Uh, so, uh, thank you, Joe Flaherty. Comedy genius. So, um, uh, I take you back now to 1980. I'm doing a funny thing with my hands. <laughs> I take you back now to 1986. Um, how time works. Uh, how time it's works. It's all in the hands. Yes. Where Scott, Dave, and I, this is another story why, but we were in the Second City Turn Company because we were discovered by Lauren Michaels, but he didn't know what to do with us, so he hired the two oldest ones, Mark and Bruce, uh, for Saturday Night Live as writers, so there was a year where we were on hold, so we worked at the Second City Turn Company. That's got nothing to do with the story, <laughs> but it's a little history for you kids in the Hall fans. Yeah. And um, so uh, Scott and um, Dave and I are uh, walking, and Scott's telling a horrible story, um, uh, a dark story, um, about how he was caught up, uh, he was caught by his roommate, um, masturbating with a carrot shoved up his ass. A parboiled carrot. Do you kids know what parboiled means? Parboiled? No. It's, it's boiled in a way that it's harder. <laughs> <laughs> that harder than hard. Harder than hard. Is that uh, a Canadian thing? I think so. Yeah, no one seems to like know what parboiled poutine, is. Poutine and parboiled. Yeah, poutine, yeah, parboiled poutine up his ass. <laughs> 
Uh, and some other dark stuff happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were things going. There were people in the bed. So it was really dark. And he said, I, gee, I guess I have demons. And then Dave said, well, you want to hear a story? And then Dave told a very dark story, which just happened to him, which I can't tell. No. That's um, his story to tell. It's his story to tell. <laughs> it's his story not to tell. Um, and then they, uh, then they both talked about how they had demons. And they looked at me, and there was a pause. Like we were walking on the sidewalk. But I remember they mm-hmm. literally both stopped as if they could read each other's minds and go, uh, what about you, Kevin? Uh, do you have demons? Laughing at the thought of me having demons because I'm a light, uh, trifle piece of pudding. Oh. Um, and I, right away, I said, yes, but polite demons would happen, uh, that would open a door for a lady carrying too many parcels, but demons nonetheless! <laughs> and they laughed, and we kept walking, and then, um, I got, when we got to Second mm-hmm. City to rehearse, I wrote that, oh, that's not bad. And I, I started writing it. Then, um, uh, Mark and Bruce, I, I'm gonna throw in a little history. Right. They, uh, then I'll let you talk, I swear. No. They, they came, um, uh, Saturday Night Live, you get like one week off every month. So for some reason, when um, they came every week, to, and we did other kids in the hall shows, mm-hmm. and some of our best stuff was written during that time, and that's why we stayed together, and that's why we got TV show, blah, 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 blah. Uh, <laughs> and, and I told Mark the idea, and Mark loved it, um, and he assumed that he'd get the part of uh, Simon, mm-hmm. and I would get the part of Hecubus. Um, and right before the show, um, I had my only really minor major revolt. Uh, like a couple of days before the show, I went to Mark Shakings and, you know, Mark, uh, I thought of the idea that you know, it's really based on me and I, uh, I just think, I just think that I should be Sir Simon. And then, um, but I was also an asshole because then Mark said, uh, all right, I understand. Okay. I'll be Hecubus. No, actually, I think Dave should be Hecubus. <laughs> and that was, that's my Simon Hecubus story. Happy Halloween. <laughs> But Sir Simon has has survived through the years. He has I mean, survived he was through the years. Part of that 2014 Rusted and Ready tour that I saw. Yes, but then we dumped him after that. Oh. Like it, it worked, but it went on for like 20 minutes. It seemed like. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if you remember that. Uh, <laughs> so we. Um, I just remember it being so much fun, even if yeah, it, it was, was rusty. It was rusty. But even yeah. that was fun. That was, yeah, that was, you know what? That was the epitome uh, of that show. It was fun and rusty. Mm-hmm. It was really fun. Like, we giggled a lot on stage and, uh, having Mark in it was a lot of fun. Uh, Cause, uh, Mark plays a guy that I hypnotize, um, in, uh, in that, which was based on a sketch that we actually did on the show that we changed a lot. And in fact, we threw in so many things to the, the original sketch would have been long enough, but we threw in so many new things. It became a, like, a, I'm sure a 10 or 15 minute sketch, <laughs> like more than 10. Like, and, uh, so we cut it, but it was fun and always got its laughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Simon did not fail us. I failed Simon. <laughs> I failed Simon. Oh, sorry, Simon. Uh, but he's back. Uh, the, uh, in the '90s, uh, late '90s, early 2000s, uh, Dave and I thought for a second that we should make it a cartoon. Uh, but that's all we did. We thought about it for a second, and we never did anything about it. Well, Kissing all story. He still could. Yeah, we still could. Uh, I could. I could still do evil. Like, yeah, I mean, could. there's there's even more places to pitch that now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we could, there's more platforms, there's more. Yes, because at the time we thought we'd all, we'll make it family, but now with, um, the Adult Swim, we don't have to make it family. Right. Or Netflix, or. Yeah, or, yeah. Well, let's, maybe you could produce it. Let's do it. <laughs> I well, need someone to push. I need someone to push me. Really? Yes. Have you felt that way from the beginning? Oh, yeah. Oh, this is good. Well, let's get, uh, psychologically. Yeah. I know. I know for a fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, um, so you don't think I'm modest. I know that I'm funny. Uh, but I also know there's, I, there's, there's, there's video and audio yeah, evidence there's, of yeah, such. There's evidence. I feel that I, at least I'm, it's, uh, you know, everyone has a different sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I'm funny. I'm, I fit my taste of what funny is. Uh, but I also know I have a strange relationship with ambition. I, I'm, I thought I was ambitious, but when I realized later, 
um, I was good at the dream part of ambition. Oh, I'd like to do that. I'd like to be mm-hmm. a Saturday Night Live, and then, oh, then I'll get in movies and I'll be. But right. uh, actually, putting it into uh, gear, I, I lose some. Putting it in the action, follow through. I lose some kind of drive. Mm-hmm. So I'm 100 percent convinced that I would be a bitter comic in Toronto. Uh, go, well, why is that guy famous? Uh, I knew him. He's uh, even younger than me. If it was not for the drive of uh, the kids in the hall. Uh, led by Bruce and, and Mark. And, and, uh, but you had to have that initial action of signing up at Second City Toronto. Yeah, th- that's true. Um, before you even met Dave. That's true. That's true. I did. Um, uh, can I tell you more long stories? Uh, yeah. I'll try to keep the shirt. <laughs> this uh, podcast is built for long stories. <laughs> I went to, uh, <laughs> I went to, um, yeah, this is a long story form. I went to, I studied acting at college for three months, but I was kicked out. Of college for acting after three months for being a one-legged actor. Uh, one-legged actor. What does that mean? I think the thought was that I was good at comedy, mm-hmm. but uh, but I had no leg for drama, which I don't think is true. I got in on a like a Shakespearean monologue, and uh, it was just um, you had to be failed in three classes. And the, the actor, uh, the teacher, had me in three classes. I fell asleep in his first because I had a ridiculous amount of buses and subways to to get to. Where home. was the school? It was in Etobicoke, Ontario, and I was living in Mississauga, Ontario. Okay, with my mother still, and. Uh, so I think he failed me, but mm. he told me way before you had to. Like it was three months. It was a week after John Lennon died, by the way. It was a bad week. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy who uh, told me that I um, um, was a one-legged actor, the the nice guy Jerry Smith, he was a one-legged actor. He had only one leg. Uh, <laughs> he was physically a one-legged <laughs> he was actor. A lighting grid had fallen on his leg during a production of Pippin huh. uh, a few years previously. So he was teaching now. So he was limping around me, telling me that I was a one-legged actor. He had a lisp, too. You think, I mean, you're, you're a one-legged actor. And we here at Humber only teach Robert De Niro like a three-legged actor. And, and, but here, here's uh, what leads to the <laughs> <Wait>. second city. <laughs> wait, wait, you can stop me anytime since I'm stopping myself. Well, I, but, but he we're only going had to one city. leg. He only had one leg, yeah. He only had one leg. He didn't get the irony of it. So I guess he probably didn't understand when people said break a leg, he didn't want to one-up them and go, yeah, break a leg. Break a leg. I've I lost, lost a leg. <laughs> no, he wasn't that funny. Huh. Or sad. He wasn't even that sad. He wasn't sad. even a one-legged actor. <laughs> he wasn't even a one-legged actor. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, the irony. That's the, uh, okay. good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never analyzed that before. That's good. So, yes. um, on my way, sadly, out to the my first bus of uh, four or five uh, buses and subways, mm-hmm. he, um, my... Uh, real improv teacher um, ran after me and he told me that uh, you know you're really good at this and you um, you are comically bent mm-hmm. and you should uh, you know Second City teaches workshops and I didn't know that and he gave me the um, he handed me a paper that had the phone number of uh, Second City and here's the interesting part of the story uh, later that teacher became famous his name is William Davis and he was Smoking Man on the, the X Files oh. so Smoking Man got me into workshops and I forget your original workshop question. Uh, oh yeah, so, so I, that's I a had good the conspiracy drive. theory. Yeah. <laughs> the now whole... I want to know more about this one-legged man and <laughs> William Davis. Yes, yeah. something to do with nine eleven. I'm not yes. sure what. Hmm. But this was back in 1980. Yeah, exactly. 1980. John Lennon died. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 1980. That's how I know 1980. <laughs> I said, "Wow, uh, you, you've done some research on me." <laughs> no, you said John Lennon and I. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so he's saying he's second city. Semi second city. In my very first class, there's only two teenagers. Everyone else is over thirty because they're actors using improv as a skill. Um, and uh, the other teenager is uh, not a kid in the hall, but Mike Myers. And uh, oh, and we become friends, and we try mm-hmm. to uh, start a troupe. Uh, Mike Myers is not only talented. I I was like a gunfighter. Um, the everyone I knew growing up in Mississauga, I knew that I was the funniest guy, and I could outdraw them. <laughs> Mike was the first guy that I thought was uh, possibly no, for sure, funnier than me. Mm-hmm. He was as good as he ever was. He was when he was actually I was uh, nineteen. He was seventeen, and. 
He was as funny as he ever became. He was like all there, all together. I was a lumpy potato. He had fulfilled potential. his potential. Yeah, he at had seventeen. His, exactly, exactly. You hear that, but people. I think Seth Rogen was like that because when he was so good in Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, and because he, he had already done stand up at like thirteen. I think. Did, yeah, some people were like that. Yeah. I had to learn. Lumpy potato potential is what I was. <laughs> is what I was. That's uh, how you did, would describe yourself at nineteen. Yeah, a lumpy potato. Yeah, there were uh, there were moments. There were uh, mm-hmm. there were sparks, uh, and then there was like uh, flat periods. And uh, I was with Mike for a while, and we tried to start a comedy troupe. And then he, I think he's still to this day the youngest person ever to make Second City main stage. And my very first, this one, you're uh, the answer to your question. My very first uh, uh, workshop without him, I was sad. In walks another teenager named David Foley. Right, and you guys. Uh, connected doing a mirror exercise? Is that yeah. what I remember? We didn't know each other and we, we started doing the mirror exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the teacher made a, a, put everyone in groups of two and, uh, and we hadn't even talked, but we started doing funny things and then we went, um, out, down on the floor and we got into the fetal position mm-hmm. and then we both started crawling outside and we crawled outside of the sidewalk and through the window we could see the teacher. We couldn't, um, hear him. <laughs> And uh, so right away we knew we were funny together and right. we were like rebels, which we uh, always wanted to be like uh, Sex Pistols of Comedy, Dave would say, or Marx Brothers, like uh, attack the suits. Uh, even that poor workshop teacher wasn't a suit. but, um, but we, And at the end of the class, uh, I had seen him in enough improv to know that he was really funny. So I didn't know his name yet. And I asked him to be in my uh, troupe. I didn't have a troupe yet. And uh, <laughs> he said yes, so we started one. And that's how that's how kids in the hall really started. That's how they really started. Uh, yeah. So yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I guess I needed something. I guess uh, I'm the I guess I'm the starting point for other people's ambition to 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 engine it. I I, I build. I don't know what it's called. I don't know anything about cars, but I build the space in the car where you put the engine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there would be no um, with the engine would be useless if I didn't build the space for it. Uh, maybe I would have made it on some level uh, by pure luck, but. Um, uh, but logistically uh, and factually, it was the ambition of others in the hmm. kids in the hall. Though I guess I built, the, I helped build the platform. And it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't been there. Yeah, you had to get there. You had to get to Second City. Yes. Also, the kids in the hall is weird. Um, you know, at different times um, there were like um, not all at once, but there were like twelve or thirteen different kids in the hall, and a lot of them, uh, Gary Campbell, for example, Frank Van Keeken, uh, Luciano Casimiri, were all as funny as as we were. In fact, Gary Campbell. He's a big, uh, successful writer now, uh, but he obviously was going to be the star. Mm-hmm. He was like Steve Martin, but better even. Like, like he was, uh, he was brilliant. But for some reason, when people started quitting and uh, the kids in the hall became as losers, they couldn't get any work. We um, we started gelling because I guess that's chemistry, right? Uh, and it's not that we were the five funniest of the ones that were in the kids in the hall. We're just the five that gelled for some reason. And you also stuck it out. And we stuck whereas it out. these other ones quit. So yeah, yeah. Gary, and Frank, it takes it takes. If not ambition, it takes determination to, well, to we stick really, around. We really had nothing not. to do. Gary and Frank quit because they uh, they got writer jobs for a TV, a local TV show in Toronto that never mm-hmm. happened. Luch did quit, yeah, because he couldn't stick it out. Probably, I don't know. That, that's unfair to say. He's a brilliant writer too. Um, I'm still to this day, I forget. I'm not sure why he quit. Uh, I, I think he may have suffered a little bit of stage fright. But yeah, yeah, we, the five of us stuck it out for sure. It was four of us, and then Scott sort of forced his way into the troop. <laughs> As opposed to Lauren hiring the other ones. Yeah. Um, so how many years <laughs> did it take before it clicked with HBO? Well, um, as the five of us, yeah. uh, uh, if you count the kids on the as the five of us, we started in 84, from 84 so, to 85, the summer of 84, mm-hmm. like August of 84 to like August of 85, we were doing a new show 
every Monday night at, at the Rivoli, which I um, egomaniacally like to call it our Cavern Club. Mm. Beatles fans. That's the Beatles, yes. Yes. Uh, and um, Forget the Monty Python comparisons. It's really the Beatles you yeah. should be comparing the kids to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We always think in terms of music, isn't that weird? A lot of comedians do, I think. Uh, and so every Monday we did a new show of sketches. Mm-hmm. And uh, we built an audience uh, and finally started selling out in um, 85 and on. And then Mark McKinney one day said, um, why don't – you know, we have all these sketches and we've only done them once. Why don't we rent a theater and um, we'll do a Best of the Kids in the Hall show? Mm-hmm. And we did and it became sort of a, um, well, Canadian version of a sensation that uh, <laughs> we got reviews. We got uh, uh, big radio shows and uh, much music, um, our MTV, we um, and – it was like crazy sold out. And that was the exact uh, month that Lauren Michaels, who had just left, he had been gone from Saturday Night Live for five years, from 80 to 85, right. had just decided to come back. And he sent talent scouts to two different comedy cities, and Toronto being one of them. And uh, on our very last Sunday show, uh, a talent scout came, saw us, and then the next day I was calling my movie theater job where I was an usher saying, I can't go to work today. I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with the biggest comedy agent in Canada. We have a conference call with Lauren Michaels. And, uh, and Is that how you quit? I didn't quit. Uh, I didn't quit. You just called in sick. I just called in sick that day. Uh, well, I called in truthfully that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't Because like Mark and Bruce were hired first. Because uh, he said um, he, the, they sent Franken and Davis. Remember Franken and Davis? Yeah, Al Franken. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To um, Senator Al Franken. Senator Al Franken. They sent the senator um, uh, and his good lady wife Tom Davis to uh, uh, to audition us because they didn't want to like spend uh, five tickets and bring us to New York. And I remember Al Franken saying, "You guys are good, but I don't know what to do with all five of you." So that's when they hired two. Mm. And then, they, and then the year later, um, uh, Lawrence saw us perform himself. And then he promptly fired Mark and Bruce's writers and then signed us, uh, signed us for a deal. But then he started looking for the TV thing. Right. So now this is 86. Um, and by 87, he found HBO. And that took a while to sign something. And then when we got the contract, I, I love you, Lauren Michaels, if you're listening. Uh, it'd be nothing without you. And I think you're a comedy genius. But our lawyer told us, uh, guys, the uh, contract you're about to sign, I've researched all the way back to the 50s, uh, Ernie Kovacs and Sid Caesar. <laughs> it's the worst contract in show business history. <laughs> But we didn't care because we were ushers. Right. <laughs> I, I quit being an usher by then. Okay. Uh, I had no money, but I quit being an usher then because I signed something or I was about to sign something. You're wrong. in show business. Yeah. Officially. I guess, yeah. You're contractually obligated yeah, to show business. Not making business. money, but yes. Um, and, uh, and that's the, the story of that one. Wow. Yeah, we're sort of building a... But then it was still from 87 to 89. Yeah, it took a while. It, actually it took a while. And then it um, became a thing. It, uh, yeah, look, because then we're, we're slow... Because Dave Thomas, uh, SCTV, yes. um, before we had signed with Lauren, he was going to produce us. But um, uh, we'd meet at his house, and he's a, a genius, but a, uh, also, but it's an and. And he's mm. also a workaholic. Um, and he um, he would talk about the things we could do and could write. Mm-hmm. Then we'd come back the next day, and we hadn't, because we, we hadn't figured it out yet. We were later, later like that with brain candy. It, something has to click in our head. Um, and when it clicks, then we can get writing. And he quit us because he said uh, they're lazy. Um, uh, I, I told them I told them what they should write, and they, they don't write it. But it wasn't because we were lazy. He was wrong about that. He, and there was a, a Toronto group called the Frantics. I tell the Frantics what to write, and then there's 25 sketches the next day. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> let me just let me just say, Brain Candy. I loved it in 1996. I love it today. Oh, thank you very much. Very I nice. think it's criminally undervalued. Oh, thank you. Uh, much like um, Idiocracy. Oh, I love that. I love it, that movie. It foretells... I love that movie, yeah. I love Ishtar, too, though it doesn't foretell anything. But maybe people <laughs> just didn't understand 
how hooked we'd be on pharmaceutical yeah, I know. drugs. I know. We were accidentally ahead of our time. Maybe. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Here's my theory why Brain Candy is undervalued. Uh, I think it's a great movie. But the weakest thing about it, and even as the weakest thing, is still fine. But the weakest thing is the ending. And if your weakest thing is going to be the ending like, where you don't quite end things well, because mm-hmm. that's the thing that people remember the most when, when they leave. When they walk out of the theater. If we just um, And that's what we were trying the hardest to, to fix, the ending. And we reshot the ending because mm-hmm. our first ending was just depressing. Uh, <laughs> and we, we, should, we, we previewed it. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was just depressing. It was, uh, it was sort of a copy of uh, the movie Brazil where um, okay. the character I play, the scientist Chris Cooper, he starts um, – it looks like he's winning, and he's beating the pharmaceutical company. And it turns out that the last 15 minutes of the movie or 10 minutes of the movie has been um, his uh, that I took the pill, and I'm in a glee coma, and that's just my fantasy. And then the, the, so the movie ends. You realize that um, that I'm not winning, that I'm in a glee coma, and you see me on a float in uh, what's called Depression Day, and there's hmm. a parade going, <laughs> and I'm and with with two uh, supermodels who are also in glee comas, and so we're <laughs> floats. So it's a little. It was a little bit of a downer. Mm. It was the right idea. Right. We just didn't accomplish it. Uh, we uh, the, the trick was to do this depressing thing, uh, with, and with what we were aiming for, but with but funny, right? But comically, but still that you feel the sadness of it, but, but comic. And we didn't quite uh, get that. We'll fix it in post. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> Twenty years later. Yeah. We're doing a reading, uh, Brain Candy, in uh, San Francisco Sketchfest on January fourteenth. Oh, of twenty seventeen. Uh, yeah, of twenty seventeen. Yes. Oh wow. Yeah. I'll, I will uh, get my tickets now. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've done it before in Toronto. And, uh, and uh, a lot of fans came up to us independently of each other and said, uh, wow, uh, now I understand the movie. Or, uh, <laughs> or wow, this was better than the movie. <laughs> because we sort of uh, – we're supposed to be reading it, but we mm-hmm. sort of uh, dug in and sort of improvised some of the things. Okay. And now we understand it so well. We uh, we sort of did do a better version of the movie. Okay. The only sad part is we we're older now. We can't uh, film it. Sure, you could. I could. Yeah, I could. The my CGI. character could be my character could be a fifty year old scientist. <laughs> why not? Yeah, why not? They're the ones that invent things. <laughs> or just or just have the ending be like a epilogue. Yeah. Twenty years later. That's what we should do. A sequel where we really ended. But, uh... Yeah. Well, let me get talking about kind of your psychology. Yes. Um, kind of fits in with. There was a there was a recurring thing where you you spoke about your place within the group. Yes, the least popular kid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's it's, was it how real? I mean, I'm from what you've already told me just now. It feels like that must have been <laughs> kind of re. Well, it comes true from, that you felt yeah you felt like the weak link. Well, it comes from a real place, like mm-hmm. uh, but it has nothing to do with the kids in the hall. It comes like just sort of like um, not that I convinced I'm the worst or anything, but am I? It's always my fear. What if I'm the worst? Mm-hmm. What if I'm the worst? And um, I never really honestly thought that, but um, but I thought it a fraction of enough to think that oh that'd be a good f- comedy idea. Yeah. And like um, when I would get, uh, when the kids in the home would get fan mail um, in the old days, it was fan mail, not email. It right. was fan mail, and um, like Bruce's fan mail would be. Uh, Bruce, uh, you're a dark poet. Uh, touch me and take me, and I'll be your dark gothic princess. And and Dave's uh, fan mail was, uh, Dave, you're so cute. Can I marry you? And my fan mail was, Kevin, you seem nice. Can you tell Dave I want to marry him? <laughs> <laughs> but I, but it speaks to the psychology of any comedy group. Yes. Where sometimes you know that there's a star, and yeah, and then the other four people are just the the yeah. sidekicks. Yeah. 
But how do you how do you how do you maintain a cohesiveness within a group? What's funny because um, during the kids and holidays, there were, like Dave obviously became the most popular because of news radio mm-hmm. and uh, and stuff like that. But but if you pull any kids in the hall fan, I'm pretty sure it'd be 2020, 2020, 2020. who their favorite is. Um, how do you, how do you do I, that I as know. a group? That's weird. That that was just luck. I think I think that's just luck. Because even Monty Python, as funny as everyone is. Probably, if you pulled everybody from people who knew them a lot to people mm-hmm. who knew them a little, John Cleese would probably be number one. Um, maybe he stood out because of his height a bit or, or whatever. Right. Just, That's uh, an extra layer of psychology. <laughs> yeah. The tall yeah. one is the star. Yeah. And he had and funny body moves and mm-hmm. like uh, – Silly walks. Yeah, and, silly walks, more yeah. physical. In a way, more mainstream. Those ideas are weird. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he also did Faulty Towers, so right after that. So he was probably more yes. present. Just like yeah, you're saying, Dave that, did news radio. Yeah, <clears throat> but before news radio, it was um, – I don't know if it's luck or – I don't know if luck's the word because it's not necessarily a good thing, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. That um, The Kitchen Hall was always about the about the group for some reason. We never, like, talked about that. I, it's just looking in retrospect. I see that it was, it was sort of always um, – it was sort of like there was six of us, Mark, Bruce, Dave, Kevin, Scott, and the Kids in the Hall. And that's uh, – and that's in a way, we're like a six-man troop. In fact, we have this weird thing. Whenever we're together, we go, someone missing? <laughs> and yeah, it's the troop that's missing. Hmm. I don't know what that means, but I know I mean it. But that actually happens, though. That actually happens. We always think there's somebody missing. Hmm. Yeah. That's good. That's good to have. I mean, yeah. if if you think musically, like you say you do, yeah, bands oftentimes ha- have that similar problem where there's infighting personalities within the group about who's actually the the front man or who's leading yeah. the group. Yeah, we were never like that. Uh, I mean, there's obviously some of us who are, are good in, in business sense of leading us, and mm-hmm. as we get older and we live different, so that's happening. But but now we don't uh, argue that. Now we just say thank you. Um, but I'm about to use a rock band as an example, but it's a Canadian rock band, so mm-hmm. it won't help you Americans. It depends on the band. Sloan. Okay. Sloan. Uh, <laughs> all four of them write songs. Yeah. And they're totally a band. I may have a favorite. I may think Chris the bass player writes mm-hmm. the best songs, but that's me. Um, yeah, probably uh, other people think uh, someone else's. Um, and we're sort of like Sloan that way. Okay. Is that something that happens organically or is that? Um, I wonder. I, I think uh, totally organically. It's not something we discussed. By the way, uh, Sloan has a great line, um, that I always quote. It's not the band I hate, it's their fans. <laughs> I believe that's also said about, uh, the Dave Matthews band here in America. Oh, it's not the band I hate, it's their fans. Yeah, right. yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Same with Grateful Dead. It took me years to get into the Grateful Dead a little mm-hmm. bit, and I've only into a little bit. The, the two albums they did in 1970, where uh, where they actually wrote great songs, uh, but but that, I was even blocked from that because uh, like the Deadheads, right? It's not the band I hate is their fans. But nobody says that about uh, Kids in the Hall. No, no, our fans are great. Our fans are better than us. <laughs> it's not the fans I hate; it's the band. <laughs> you know, I've 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 been thinking a lot over the last year as we're in kind of peak comedy, or perhaps even post peak. Right. Of this comedy boom, yes, there's been so much new sketch comedy on television. I know, and not a, a lot of it is good. Oh, yeah. and so I've been developing this theory that that there's a qualitative difference between sketch comedy where the the group has formed organically, right, and where the group has been kind of cast, right, by casting agents and producers. Yeah. And yeah. and you can fundamentally tell the difference between a group that's been together and thinks is one group versus right. the 
the sketch groups that are just kind of hodgepodge together. I always thought that, but the, and then there's Saturday Night Live, that is definitely in a way the epitome of you audition for and you fight for your parts, but they've entered such a machine that has right. been rolling and clicking so long. I think they um, they get into the mindset of the machine uh, <laughs> so easily to succeed right. that um, it's almost as good as an organic. Um, it just is. <laughs> yeah, it just is. Saturday Night Live just is. Yeah, like I I don't know what it's like to do sketch comedy being afraid, and I don't know. I'm speaking for people that I, I haven't talked to, but being afraid of like being fired. Mm-hmm. Like uh, if you talk to a writer, I guess I have talked to you. They go, <laughs> "Well, I got two sketches in so far this year, but I probably right. need another one to like stick around there." Like um, that seems to be the worst kind of way to write comedy. Uh, I better write something funny or I get fired. <laughs> like, like, that would be pretty hard. But yes, uh, the comedy nowadays. I like Keen Peel. Mm-hmm. This sounds like uh, what Bruce McCullough calls a complicit. What I'm about to say. But uh, half compliment, half insult. But Key and Peel are technically a perfect sketch show. Technically, um, they have great premises. Mm-hmm. They're great performers. The premises are realized. Uh, they're writing great scripts. And they even um, – uh, it takes turns sometimes you don't expect. And they also succeed in the hardest thing um, for sketches, um, endings. Most of their yeah. endings are good. But I say technically – because uh, I would, um, in a million years, though I, lo- I love watching Keen Peel, I really do. But um, if I had a they choice, still canceled it. They or, they didn't, or didn't cancel they it, they, they just they ended they it. They, they just, yeah, they, I'd rather watch like, something like the um, uh, Chappelle show, which mm-hmm. is like, a, I only pick that show because it's sloppier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so technically, it isn't that good. He does the, the thing you're never supposed to do uh, tell what the joke is and then show the sketch. <laughs> But somehow it's brilliant, and mm-hmm. uh, because his um, his brilliant mind, and the, I guess he, uh, the right people were hired to get his brilliant mind across, mm-hmm. um, is a unique has a unique perspective uh, of the world, and uh, and the comedy is better. So I'll take sloppy great. Um, I'll take sloppy great over technically good. But even both of those shows are the the writing and the creation and the vision is all contained within one or two people. Yes. Yes. Key and Peel is Key and Peel, and then they brought a structure around them. Right. Chappelle is Chappelle was Chappelle and Neil Brennan. Neil, yeah, that's Although Neil was unseen, but yeah. the Chappelle it was Chappelle's show. Yeah. Well, the kids said, "Oh, there were five of us," and right. and, the, and that's um, the bad aspect of being like a rock band because we would fight, we would fight all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott felt that we didn't. Uh, we were prejudiced against Scott's sketches. Um, uh, for some reason, we. Uh, we put him in a box. With it. He writes great were monologues. Hum- were you hu- humorphobic? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Dave and I didn't want him in the group at first because we were actorphobic. We, he was an actor. We didn't think uh, an actor had any right to be. Tom Hanks, maybe, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, no other actor. Was he a one-legged comedy. actor? He was a, he, well, he, no, the problem was he was a two-legged actor. <laughs> a one-legged comic, maybe. Uh, now I realize, looking back, mm-hmm. his sketch ideas uh, are brilliant. And um, nowadays, he take, it comes with his ideas, and we sort of uh, group write it, and they're they're the best sketches. And we sort of wasted – we probably wasted a lot of good Scott sketches um, by, by putting him in this box thinking that, oh, he just writes monologues. Oh, <laughs> he's writing a sketch. Well, let's see what we can do with it. Did that happen before or after you toured with Scott? Because you guys did a two kids – Oh, yeah, yeah. That happened uh, – Tour. Like five years ago? 20? Yeah, that, that was it was happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. And Scott and I, we did a tour, and I came to his house in Toronto, and um, we had this uh, – where's the sort of the – we can be the two most immature kids in the hall. And we had this horrible uh, fight where we both at different times quit the tour, even though it was all booked and stuff. Um, and then when the fight was over, uh, I did the uh, – oh, 
you know the fight we just had? That could be the way we end the show. <laughs> and then Scott laughed, and then we started writing it. And it's a really great ending. And then um, Scott, uh, when it was done, said, see? We should still fight, because he always says on the tour bus, All right, how come we're not fighting, the five of us? We, we, the only is we'd fight. And I go, you, you can write that way. We just did, but I'd rather not. <laughs> You can have a sip of tea and crumpets and, sit, mm-hmm. and also write it just as well, I think. See? We should fight. Well, everybody has their own way of finding the humor. Yes. Yeah. It. I mean, it did. I, I don't want to do it anymore. Like I said, we're over 50 now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to have a fight with it. But it, we fought so ridiculously. Uh, I said, well, it just it struck me that it was right. a sort of a sketch. Well, you've also, I think uh, the last time I sat down with you just one on one you were you were oh, hi you, <laughs> you were t- you were t- you were uh, leading sketch workshops yes yes solo <laughs> yes so what do you t- teach i mean what am i doing well i was just going to say going back to like the different methods scott wanting to fight and you're like well there's different ways to go about it <laughs> right like how do you separate that out to to new kids yeah um this is not we're your question learning. but but one what but uh one thing is uh, because the, it's a workshop, mm-hmm. I know I don't have to worry about fighting for the most part, like 99% of the time. Uh, and what I, I, uh, I'm specific. I specify in uh, the beginning of How the Kids on the Hall Road, which is through improv. Okay. We'd come in with our uh, ideas. We would talk about them. Um, and then we would um, – uh, we had a certain format of like uh, of talking about them. And then we um, – when we had sort of all the beats of the scene – uh, then we would improvise them uh, okay. and fill it in with the dialogue and the characters and stuff. And that's sort of what I teach. But, um, yeah, I can't teach um, – I don't. I wouldn't want to – attitudes and the way to be when you're um, – you, you know, I, I tell them fighting – I even tell them this sometimes. Fighting worked for us, um, and uh, but this is a workshop, <laughs> and it will just slow things down and be, uh, be ugly and tiring. It's really tiring, like um, – because – we weren't like a rock band like that. We weren't like in a van for like uh, like four weeks, like playing Northern Ontario. Right. Um, but we did see a lot of each other, especially in TV show days, and um, fighting during that. When, when you're you're being creative and you have deadlines, it's just uh, it's tiring. It ages you. What 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 do you use when you're when you're dealing with new people in workshops in terms of like team building exercises? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Maybe I should. I don't. You don't I, do a mirror, a mirror scene, to, <laughs> so that way you can witness the uh, magical beginnings of something else. I did a, I did some phony thing at first where it was almost like a meditation thing, and then mm-hmm. I dropped it after a while because um, it wasn't me. It was me trying okay. to be like what I thought a workshop teacher was. So I sort of dropped it after a while. Though the actors in the really really liked it. Uh, there was one workshop I did in a city I won't say where one woman. Where I, I uh, at the end of the well, halfway through the day, I pick five scenes mm-hmm. and I split the group up into five, uh, the, the, the twenty twenty five people into five groups, and they work on it. Her scene wasn't picked. Um, uh, I found out later she was bipolar. I didn't know that, and and I put her in a group, um, and she didn't like the idea. It was a good idea too, I thought. And she started fighting with a guy who was really polite, and uh, he was refusing to fight. He was like, "I see what you're saying," and then uh, I came. And I made the mistake of saying, I thought it was a good thing I was saying. I say this to my stepkids sometimes when they go to hockey games and they're nervous because of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I say to her, remember, this is fun. And she got so – she said, don't you fucking tell me to have fucking fun. What if I don't want to have fucking fun? You and all the other doctors. I go, okay. <laughs> so uh, – And see. And see. So I try to stay away from group dynamics. <laughs> 
for a while after that, I was saying, remember, I worked for the kids in the hall, but this is a workshop. Uh, um, is, if you disagree, that's part of your stumbling blocks, part of your challenges. Mm-hmm. It's fun to disagree. And so, uh, though I ha- I'm hesitant to say it's fun to do anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that so horrible to tell, remind someone that it's fun? <laughs> <laughs> this is comedy. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you have just started uh, finally doing your own podcast. Yes. Which, which is probably fun because yes. you're still in the fun early stages of yeah. Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald show. Yeah, in a way, who knows what it'll grow to. But uh, I know how it started. Well, first start up, I was going to do like a Mark Maron type thing where I talk to mm-hmm. musicians because I'm obsessed with music. Um, but then um, uh, the producers of Forever Dog, Joe and Alex, uh, said oh, oh, yeah, they wanted to do that. And they found a theater first, a Union Hall in Brooklyn. Okay. I thought, uh, and so we could tape it in front of a live audience. And I thought, well, what a waste of me if I'm just because I'm not a good interviewer yet. Uh, if, if that's all I did, so um, and then we started talking about making it like what it is—a variety show. Um, um, it's like an old Jack Benny radio show where there's sketches and monologues and guests, and I'll talk to the guests. One guest will always be a comedian. One guest will always be a musician, and um, and we, and I also want to throw—I'm throwing sort of characters like the character of the announcer who doesn't like me, and uh, producer Phil <laughs> who's a bad producer. So I'm also throwing in Jack Benny things where there'll mm-hmm. be sort of a onstage backstage reality where. Where a sketch might be me having a fight with the producer or something like that, which so I'm I'm taking it back to the like 30s and 40s, right. um, but I'm thinking old school comedy radio that requires more work yes. on your part. And right now I'm writing everything, and that's why they're like a month apart. But uh, one day I'll, I'll crack down and uh, have Joe and Alex and everybody write with mm-hmm. me to to make it go quicker. Um, uh, but right now, yeah, that's that's what's uh, that's what's uh, sort of taking a while. But it's fun, and I and I've written sketch ideas. For the past twenty years, after the TV show, so I have ideas to to work on. Okay. Um, there's one idea I thought of in 1986, and Bruce McCulley, he'll call me every month and go, "Have you have you figured it out yet? It's a great idea, but I haven't been able to write it in a sketch yet. Maybe you can help me. Um, it, it, write in to Sean and uh, tell me <laughs> uh, a guy who's ten dollars short of being a millionaire. Oh. I thought of that in 1986. <laughs> and like, what is it? Is it like, do you see? Um, uh, like um, the people on the street begging for money, and then a limo pulls up, and a guy in his suit comes out, and he has, to, and he's obviously rich, and he asks for ten dollars. Like, uh, is that it? that? Like, uh, that was my first image, but I never went past that, so I don't know. Or maybe uh, he wants to go to a millionaire's club, uh, but he's ten dollars short. But that seems too on the nose. I, I, I don't know. I just keep picturing a guy obsessed with his. I guess it would be his app. So he's staring at his phone, and he keeps staring at his <laughs> bank account. Okay. Because there's interest that accrues, so he's got to be yeah. getting close. <laughs> right, right. Then something happens. Then he, I the, bought another sandwich! <laughs> I bought another! Oh, that, that's pretty good. He keeps getting close, but then something, whether there's a bank processing fee or... Or it should just be normal life. Yeah. That, uh, that he, he keeps makes getting money, close. He spends a little money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just See, can't get over That's the another way to take it, just that he's uh, just him staring at his computer. Uh, watching it. Oh, I'm almost there. And then, and then something and, happens. Or maybe he yells at his child, You bought a sandwich! Oh, I was this close! That could be it. Yeah. There's so many ways. Now I, I've overthought it for 30 years. Mm. <laughs> but that's a good way. An you obsession. Never know. That's an obsession. Yeah. Maybe I can gel them all together. You're thinking. I can what? tell you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I am still thinking about it. Well, what, what kind of advice or inspiration do you, do you keep close to your yeah. heart now? I do have advice that people ask me at the end of workshops, and it's uh, kind of hooky, but, um, and I've already said half of it. Uh, well, I always say, 
I made up this term because uh, I feel workshop teachers should make up a, uh, there's something I call the two S's and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I made up one term uh, satisfy uh, two S's is not what I'm saying but it's the satisfy and surprise the audience okay you got to surprise them but still satisfy mm-hmm. uh, I made that up and that sounds like a good workshop teacher thing to say but uh, another thing I made up was um, the confidence of experience that uh, I called like watching a puppy grow that if you um, you're on stage a lot and at first you're shaky if you do it two or three times a week in front of live audiences a year from now, um, you won't know how grow how much you've grown and how better you've become. But like watching a puppy grow, um, I buy a puppy and I go and I come back two weeks and go, oh, the puppy's grown. Um, someone who hasn't seen you for a year will will really realize it. So the confidence of experience uh, will lead you to get as good as you want, mm-hmm. uh, as good as you can. And then because I feel that people get their lucky break. Two or three times a year, and they um, uh, like something out of a, a Christmas carol. They only know it's there if they're ready for it. And um, I use the Kitchen Hall story that I already told you as an example that um, the Lauren Michaels thing happened exactly when we were ready for it. We've been together a year, we built an audience, and we did the, the theater. And that was the exact week that um, Lauren Michaels sent a talent scout to Toronto. So um, uh, we were ready because of the confidence of experience. We got ourselves ready, and so when our lucky break happened, we saw it. And uh, I know it sounds a bit hokey, but right. uh, there you go. Well, uh, now you have so much more experience, and I hope you have more confidence because you are funny and you have been funny. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> and I look forward to seeing and hearing more of this funny stuff, including the almost a millionaire sketch. Yes. Well, and, you have a really great idea for and that. the new and the new uh, and improved ending to Brain Candy. Oh yes, yes, <laughs> coming yeah. coming soon. I'll, I'll, we'll give you credit to all those ideas. <laughs> the millionaire sketch, Brain Candy, uh, you'll get it all. Kevin McDonald, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is fun. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.